Hi, Ideas in Action listeners. It's Nicole Counts, Senior Editor at One World, with a special bonus episode for you. If you heard our episode on racism featuring Tanahasi Coates, Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi, and Heather McGee, you'll know we talked about the importance of culture in giving us new possibilities, facing our own biases, and dismantling and upending racist beliefs, institutions, policies, and more. For our bonus episode, we've picked an excerpt from the audiobook of Minor Feelings, Kathy Park Hong's genre-busting dissection of Asian Americans' racial experiences. This particular selection showcases the surprising way Kathy arrived at her theory of minor feelings via the profane genius of Richard Pryor's stand-up comedy and the way that comedy allows us to question, mock, and defang for a moment casual, everyday discrimination. What happens when we speak up about our discomfort? What happens when we refuse to play along and accept someone else's version of our reality? We hope hearing Kathy's process will inspire you into ideas and actions of your own. Prior joke that comedy was actually invented on the slave ship. One slave turned to the other and said, You thought your day was bad? Yesterday, I was king. Scholar Glenda Carpio said that Prior outed black humor, which began as rested freedom to laugh at that which was unjust and cruel. Humor was a form of survival, since it created necessary psychic distance from slavery. It was also a secret code to an underground world where the master was not only outside it, but the object of ridicule. In his essay, An Extravagance of Laughter, Ralph Ellison writes that when whites heard black laughter, they were left with the baffled general feeling that they had been lampooned without quite knowing how. In one small town, White Southerners were so menaced by black laughter, they set up barrels in the town square. When black people had an urge to laugh, they had to stick their heads inside those barrels to stifle their mirth. While this story recounted by Ellison in his essay may sound apocryphal, in 2015, 11 women, 10 of them black and one white, traveled as a book club on an antique train tour through the Northern Californian wineries. They were having a wonderful time, until the train stopped at a station where police officers rushed in and forced them out of the train because of complaints that they were laughing too loudly. This incident inspired the hashtag, laughing while black. Carpio argues that Pryor was the first comedian to expose private black humor to a white audience. Many African-Americans echoed her observation, remarking on the shock of recognition when they first heard Pryor. They probably felt that shock of recognition because he's nobody's spokesman. On stage, Pryor is fearful, belligerent, hysterical, and boasts about his self-destruction. Not only that, Pryor Prize opened the deep historical taboos of miscegenation by flaunting his desire for white women. In his comparisons between white female lovers and black female lovers, for instance, Pryor toes the line between enabling and destabilizing stereotypes. He says, there really is a difference between white women and black women. I've dated both. Black women, you be sucking on their p- and they be like, wait, N-word, a little more to the left, m- you're gonna suck the m- get down. You can fuck white women, and if they don't come, they say, it's all right, I'll just lay here and use a vibrator. 
Where do I, as a Korean-American woman, situate myself when Pryor sets up these black-white binaries? One minute, I'm laughing at white people and feeling the rage of black oppression as if it's my own, until the next bit, when I realize I'm allied with white people. I become more uncomfortable when Pryor goes deep into the sexual differences between white women and black women. Did I laugh because I am neither black nor white, thereby escaping the sting of being caricatured and objectified? Should I be offended on behalf of white women or black women? Pryor's monologue perpetuates the sexist stereotypes that black women are aggressive and manly as opposed to white women who are passive and ultra-feminine. Meanwhile, Pryor sets himself up as a prized virile black male. And yet this trope also belies a dynamic that's a bit more complicated in that Pryor reserves a secret admiration for black women because they don't put up with his bull while tacitly acknowledging that the passivity of white women is not due to hyperfemininity, but, as Hilton Owls writes, white guilt. In the end, Pryor makes himself the object of derision, admitting that he has a hard time satisfying any woman, black or white. Just at the point where I abruptly stop laughing, Pryor unzips the muscle suit of black male machismo to expose his own shame. It may be odd that I also felt a shock of recognition when I first saw Pryor. But watching Pryor reminded me of an emotional condition that is specific to Koreans, Han. A combination of bitterness, wistfulness, shame, melancholy, and vengefulness, accumulated from years of brutal colonialism, war, and US-supported dictatorships that have never been politically redressed. Han is so ongoing that it can even be passed down. To be Korean is to feel Han. Pryor's rage and despair waver in and out of his concatenation of impressions. When he says, I'm glad I'm black and I'm not white because you guys have to go to the moon, Pryor's melancholy lingers long after I'm done laughing. A melancholy that enables him to see the world as clearly as he does. Henri Bergson writes that humor is godless and entirely human since humor runs counter to the sublime. Instead of transcending, you are made acutely aware of the skin in which you exist. In other words, Pryor is also continually filling some other body. But unlike Keats's poet, who is without identity, Pryor is always channeling other characters while black. In Pryor, I saw someone channel what I call minor feelings, the racialized range of emotions that are negative, dysphoric, and therefore unintelligenic, built from the sediments of everyday racial experience and the irritant of having one's perception of reality constantly questioned or dismissed. Minor feelings arise, for instance, upon hearing a slight and knowing it's racial and being told, oh, that's all in your head. A now classic book that explores minor feelings is Claudia Rankin's Citizen. After hearing a racist remark, the speaker asks herself, what did you say? She saw what she saw. She heard what she heard. But after her reality has been belittled so many times, she begins to doubt her very own senses. 
Such disfiguring of senses engenders the minor feelings of paranoia, shame, irritation, and melancholy. Minor feelings are not often featured in contemporary American literature because these emotions do not conform to the archetypal narrative that highlights survival and self-determination. Unlike the organizing principles of a building's roman, minor feelings are not generated from major change, but from lack of change, in particular structural, racial, and economic change. Rather than using racial trauma as a dramatic stage for individual growth, the literature of minor feelings explores a trauma of a racist capitalist system that keeps the individual in place. It's playing tennis while black and dining out while black. It's hearing the same verdict when testimony after testimony has been given. After every print run, Rankin adds another name of a black citizen murdered by a cop to an already long list of names at the end of the book. This act acknowledges both a remembering and the fact that change is not happening fast enough. My term minor feelings is deeply indebted to theorist Cien Nye, who wrote extensively on the affective qualities of ugly feelings, Negative emotions like envy, irritation, and boredom, symptomatic of today's late capitalist gig economy. Like ugly feelings, minor feelings are non-cathartic states of emotion with a remarkable capacity for duration. Minor feelings occur when American optimism is enforced upon you, which contradicts your own racialized reality thereby creating a static of cognitive dissonance. You are told things are so much better while you think things are the same. You are told Asian Americans are so successful while you feel like a failure. This optimism sets up false expectations that increase these feelings of dysphoria. A 2017 study found that the ideology of America as a fair meritocracy led to more self-doubt and behavioral problems among low-income black and brown sixth graders because, as one teacher said, they blame themselves for problems they can't control. Minor feelings are also the emotions we are accused of having when we decide to be difficult. In other words, when we decide to be honest. When minor feelings are finally externalized, they are interpreted as hostile, ungrateful, jealous, depressing, and belligerent. Affects ascribed to racialized behavior that whites consider out of line. Our feelings are overreactions because our lived experiences of structural inequity are not commensurate with their diluted reality. There is no immediate emotional release in the literature of minor feelings. It is cumulative. Change is measured in the internal waverings of the mind or in shape-shifting personae. Because minor feelings are ongoing, they lend themselves more readily to forms and genres that are themselves serial, such as the graphic novel, the Hernandez Brothers, Adrian Tomine, or the serial poem, Wanda Coleman, Solma Sharif, Tommy Pico, or the episodic poetic essay, Banu Kapil, Claudia Rankin, 
but also, and more increasingly, are seen in literary fiction. Paul Beattie, Ling Ma. White male authors who have written books that expose warts and all personas, like Philip Roth and Carl Ove Knarsgaard, have been traditionally lionized. It's as if listeners relish white male writers behaving badly, but they demand that minority writers must always be good. And because of this, we put our minor feelings aside to protect white feelings. Thank you for listening to this special bonus episode of Ideas in Action, brought to you by One World. Audio excerpted courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio from Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong and read by the author. For more information, visit oneworldlit.com or penguinrandomhouse.com. I'm Nicole Counts, and we'll be back next week with more Ideas in Action.